Welcome to A Little Louder Now, a podcast produced by the Bridge Initiative and FI360 Project. This is the Breaking Barriers series. We are Alex and Alicia, your hosts and resident fangirls of all women who break barriers for others. During the Breaking Barriers series, we'll cover individuals from all industries and walks of life who have blazed trails for others. Each month, we will focus on a different theme topic, and the theme of this month for Breaking Barriers is Pioneering First Ladies. Today, we are talking about Barbara Bush. Barbara Bush. Right? So excited to talk about Barbara Bush with you. Uh, All I knew about her before uh, we started doing research was that she was the matriarch Mm -hmm. of the Bush family, and... She was the wife of H.W. Mm-hmm. and the mother of W. 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 Um, we will henceforth refer to him as W. w. <laughs> Not to confuse him with his father. H.W. H.W. <laughs> I only knew her as W's father and the lady with the white hair. That was the only yeah. context I had for her. So um, this... This was really eye-opening for me because I learned a lot about her, and I was very impressed by her. So let me tell you some things. Oh, okay. Okay, so Barbara, she is a pioneering first lady of the United States because of the work she did for literacy during her tenure as first lady. We're featuring her on Breaking Barriers because of that work and, and all the more that she did for charitable and humanitarian efforts during her lifetime. So, Alicia. I'll give you the back the background the early story her the early yeah the er, the early the early yes <laughs> okay <laughs> so she was born on June eighth nineteen twenty five in Rye New York her parents were Marvin Pierce the publisher of McCall's and Red Book magazines and Pauline Robinson Pierce so at the time McCall's and Red Book were very big. Yes. Uh, publications so I think that her love for literacy may have come from having that be such a big part of her home life mm-hmm. maybe um, Possible. she's not the first in her family to end up in public service she was the granddaughter of Ohio Supreme Court Justice her father was distantly related to Franklin Pierce who was the 14th president of the United States if you didn't have that memorized <laughs> I did not but, but she, she is also distantly related to Henry Wadsworth Longfellow that's an interesting connection in, indeed it is uh, her nickname is my favorite. It's Bar. Bar. Not Barbie. Not Barbs. Not, Not Barbs. It was Bar. Bar. Which is, that is a boss person's nickname. Bar. All right. So anyway, <laughs> Bar, as she was called, <laughs> went to Ashley Hall, which is a private boarding school in Charleston, South Carolina. She graduated in 1943. She had three siblings who also enjoyed many of the advantages of their affluent upbringing they lived in an upscale, upscale suburb. That was tough. Yeah. Um, they enjoyed swimming, tennis, and biking while they lived there. So, Barbara. Bar. Bar, if you will. Bar. Uh, she was 16 and on Christmas vacation in Greenwich, Connecticut in 1941 when she had the ultimate meet-cute. When she attended a dance at the Round Hill Country Club. What? Hold on. What is a meet cute? <laughs> Have you ever watched a romantic comedy movie? Uh, yeah. 
I, I know for a fact that you have read rom-com books. But what is a meet cute? It's when the characters meet. Why is it? In a cute little way. That's why it's called a meet cute. Whatever. Okay, we're going to have a lesson. <laughs> we're going to take this offline. We'll have a lesson on meet cute. It's weird. <laughs> You're weird. Uh, so they, they met in Christmas 1941. Uh, George was a student at the nearby Phillips Academy in Andover, Massachusetts. And they did the long distance thing, right? They did. Yeah. So she was in South Carolina and he was in Massachusetts, but they courted. Mm-hmm. They they meet cuted? No? No. They dated. <laughs> they dated. They courted. Um, and became engaged 18 months later in 1943, just before George left to serve as a naval bomber pilot in the Pacific. Yes. So... Um, that must have been difficult for her to have this whirlwind romance after a meet cute. At 16. At 16, and then be engaged, and then have your soon to be spouse, the person you want to spend the rest of your life with, just have to go. Indeed. Also, um, George, he named three of his, uh, his planes after her. They were all various states of Barbara. Barbara. Barbara and Barbara. Yes, exactly. Oh, so while, while he was gone, yeah. Well, she, she went to study at Smith College in Massachusetts, and um, after that, he was shot down in September of 1944, and she didn't hear from him for more than a month. So she probably presumed him to be dead. That's, that's terrible. Intense. That's intense. It's absolutely awful. Those, you know, she's engaged, not married yet. Mm-hmm. So making plans. Making plans. How do, how do you continue to make plans when you're fiance was shot down and nobody's heard from him he's presumed dead the position that people were put in during the the world wars you know world war one and world war two is just mind-blowing to me you know it's specifically women in this instance because they were left at home so imagine Imagine if they had married and she was already expecting their first child and he was shot down. Like, that happened to people, you know? And so how difficult would that be? Um, It's just mind-blowing to me. But Regardless. Regardless. He was not... He was not, in fact, dead. He was not. Spoiler alert. No. He was not. They they married George when he was on leave. Um, They married on January 6, 1944. Barbara was not even 20 years old. She was only one of a handful of first ladies that married in her teens. But you know what? She, in my research, I found that she had this, this like, in inner compass. Mm-hmm. You know, she had this, like, moral compass that pointed her to her north, what was the right thing to do, and she didn't seem to beat around the bush about it when she knew what she was supposed to do. So, she, um... <laughs> Did you get that joke? I, did. I was trying so hard not to laugh at your joke. Oh, I'm hilarious. Anyway, so she she was led by that conviction mm-hmm. in life. And I felt that, yeah, she was young to get married, but she probably knew George is the one for me. You know, yeah, this is the right person. She didn't really waver from that conviction. You know, no. She had this, uh, this, this core of steel in her that, that just never never varied you know she Mm-mm. like you said before you know she she saw something that she wanted or she, she she knew what she wanted and she just went after it or you know she made sure that it happened she knew how she felt about a particular thing and 
didn't dally around the the fact that she felt that way. So mm-hmm. I, I, you know, that's an, I think that's an impressive thing, anyway. But um, in any event, after World War II ended, um, the couple eventually settled in Texas, where George began his career in the oil business, mm-hmm. and that went well. Over the next thirteen years, George and Barbara had six children. It's yes. a lot of kids. Yes. First up. First up, W. W. In 1946, and then Pauline, who's known as Robin, in 1949. Um, Jeb Bush. Gotta mention Jeb. 1953. Neil, 1955. Um, Marvin in 56. And Dorothy, known as Doro, in 59. So Pauline, Robin, the one that was born in 1949, um, she was diagnosed with leukemia um and was basically told george and barbara were basically told she's this is a life this is a life ending Mm -hmm. thing just let her be peaceful let her get comfortable and don't try anything yeah she she was three or four i read very conflicting reports um when she passed away in 1953 um from the leukemia her death really changed that entire family and um you know, it, it left a mark on, on Barbara and George's relationship. You know, they had, they had received this, like you said, this diagnosis from the physician, um, and they rejected the physician's advice to allow their daughter to, um, you know, to, to get comfortable, for, to die peacefully, and instead they sought aggressive treatments that really only ended up extending her short life for seven months. And they also, didn't they also not explain to George W. Mm-hmm. that it was actually, like, she was going to die from this. Yeah, they, I, read, I read an article with an interview um, from Barbara, and, and it was, you know, she was talking about her son, W., um, about about Robin and her passing and the way that the, the parents, they didn't tell their son how serious Robin's illness was, and Barbara mentioned that in that interview that he never forgave her, his parents for that. And I don't... I don't want this to come across as, in any way as judgmental of their parenting at the time because I have no idea what I would do in that instance. That's a very difficult situation to be in. Um, I think anybody would try to save their child. Mm-hmm. You know, any anybody would aggressively pursue options, even if it's going to kill her anyway. So I, you know, and you wouldn't want to worry your kids by saying, you know, enjoy your time with Robin now because... <laughs> Yeah, like, I mean, you, you, I get it. I get why they portrayed it that way. But I also understand why George would feel betrayed by that. Mm-hmm. Maybe betrayed isn't the right word. But anyway, I... Did you bring your tissues? I did not bring <laughs> tissues. I'm doing my best here. <laughs> you can use my sleeve. Huh? You can use my sleeve. Okay. I have a sweater. <laughs> anyway, um... That affected everything for Barbara. Yeah. It changed her outlook on life. It steeled her resolve and her maternal devotion to her children. She, her, it became clear that she was going to protect her children at all costs from this point on. It redefined her for the rest of her life because she now understood the ways that the innocent can be caught and crushed by the unfairness of life. You know, sometimes bad things happen to good people and there's really nothing you could do about it and so it really just 
made her stronger. And, and the stress of this event, I mean, remember, she was pregnant during this. She was pregnant with... I think you said Jeb. Jeb. Yeah. While her daughter was dying and died. Yeah. So think about how stressful it is to any of the listeners out there who have a friend who's been pregnant or you've been pregnant yourself, think about how stressful that is and then add on the stress of one of your children is dying. No wonder her hair went white. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this, her hair was white after, after that. Yeah, she said that it was her grief. Yes. That did it. Yeah. I can imagine that. Yeah. Um, it'd, it'd be very upsetting to go through all that all at once. And um, so any in any event, after um, Robin passed away, George focused on his career in the oil business, and Barbara devoted her time solely, basically, to their children and raising them. Yeah, in 1962, George, he, he shifted his focus from oil to politics, and he won his first political contest uh, in 1962. Four years later, he was elected to the House of Representatives. And while, while George served in the House, then as ambassador to United Nations, and then as envoy to China... Barbara really had to develop her skills, um, you know, those, those specific skill set that's required of a politician's wife, including you know, public speaking and management style for her staff, that, you know, that style really served her later when she uh, was first lady in the White House. Um, at that time, she, she kind of immersed herself in projects that really piqued her interest, including you know, various charities and Republicans, women's groups in D.C. Right. And and let's point out that Barbara's wholehearted and steely resolve to defend her family wasn't just for her children. It was also for George. Right. So when George was going to run for president in 1980, Barbara was his biggest defender. She defended the argument for his lack of experience or some of his personal qualities that caused a stir. Um, she caused a stir. Yes, she did. By saying in a very public forum that she supported the ratification of the Equal Rights Amendment and was pro-choice on abortion, which put her at odds with the conservative wing of the Republican Party, which was the party he was trying to run for. So that was a bit of a snafu. I don't know if I call it a snafu. I mean, you mentioned earlier that she... In, even early in her life, she knew what was right to her. Right. And uh, she kind of just went after what she felt was right. I, I get that, but I also get your husband's trying to run for president, and yeah. this could be somewhat of an undermining thing for him. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, it might have had some effect on him. He, he was not elected. He did not win. <laughs> he, instead, you know, he ended up on Ronald Reagan's ticket as vice president. Which was fine. In 1980s. So. It was fine because yeah. during their eight years of, of vice presidency, uh, she really found that she wanted to improve literacy in the United States. And she carried that into her years as, um, as first lady. As first lady. Thank you. And she began to campaign to improve literacy and began her work with several literacy organizations. She was actually motivated by her son Neil's dyslexia. And by her belief that many other social problems like homelessness were connected to illiteracy, which really makes sense. You know, if you can't read, you can't get a job. Mm-hmm. Everything requires you to read. Yes. Um, you so. Be able to read a menu. Right. Create so. Resume. She, she traveled around the country and 
in the world to speak at hundreds of events where she often appeared with new readers. Uh, she wrote her first children's book in 1984. It was called C. Period Fred's Story. It's about their dog. <laughs> it's about their cocker spaniel, C. Fred. Not S E A, but like C. Period. I don't know why he's named that. <laughs> she donated all the profits, though, of that book to literacy charities. And she wrote another children's book in 1990 about a cocker spaniel that she took to the White House and the litter of puppies that were born there. So um, it was it was a good thing. Let's talk about First Lady. Yes. First Lady Barbara Bush. So George, when, when he campaigned for president the second time and won, you know, remember this is 1988 because Re- Ronald Reagan had two terms. Mm-hmm. Um, Barbara, obviously, became First Lady and... Um, she, she decided to continue her work for the cause of literacy, calling it, quote, the most important issue that we have. She continued her work with many literary, literacy rather, organizations. She served on literacy committees and chaired many reading organizations, which eventually culminated in her developing the Barbara Bush Foundation for Family Literacy in 1989. She was, the I thought the really interesting thing to me, for her, was she was dedicated to eliminating generational illiteracy. Yes. And she supported programs where parents and their children, particularly young children, would be able to learn to read together. She also created a national radio program that was called Mrs. Bush's Storytime, where she stressed the importance of reading aloud to children. I think that that's so impressive and so interesting, because think about, I mean, I grew up in in rural Pennsylvania and I mean there are people that dropped out of school um, in middle school or in elementary school that I knew that were I mean they were older but I knew them mm-hmm. and they struggled to read and so I thought it was interesting if you get into some really rural areas that maybe don't have the resources to teach people how to read this would be a game changer for them yeah definitely so Uh, Shortly after becoming First Lady in 1988, she was diagnosed with Graves' disease. She underwent radiation, but continued performing her official duties, which I'm sure was exhausting. She, Barbara was also, Barr, rather. Barr, Barr, thank you. our good friend Barr. She was active in the White House Historical Association and worked to revitalize the White House Preservation Fund, which she actually renamed and called the White House Endowment Trust. Um, This trust... uh, in case you don't know, it, it raises funds for the ongoing refurbishment and restoration of the White House. I would like to ask you a pop quiz. Go ahead. I am ready for this. Who was the first lady that actually decorated the White House? I, I know this because of you, <laughs> because of all the research that you did um, on our first pioneering first lady that we talked about earlier this month, Dolly Madison. Yeah. So this is a, it's interesting that we picked these two because it was, it was a happy accident. We didn't yeah. intend it like that. But um, so Dolly Madison actually decorated the White House. And um, if you haven't listened to our Dolly Madison podcast, please go check it now, check it out now on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Of course, because there's much more to Dolly Madison that she just, than she just decorated the White House. Oh yeah. She was very interesting. Um, but Barbara was actually trying to keep the White House in good shape. Mm-hmm. So she established this fund to help keep it in a, res- a restoration level shape, I suppose. Yeah, she, she had set a goal 
when she had, had first renamed this to to raise twenty five million in endowments, uh, and the the first ladies that came after her, um, which was First Lady Hillary Rodham, Rodham Clinton, um, she continued the support and helped expand the trust endowment, um, and it and it reached under First Lady Clinton's um, tenure over thirty five million dollars. Yeah, I, I mean, don't have any word on what it was under. Uh, Mrs. Obama or Mrs. Trump, but sure, I I um I'm sure that they're still contributing to it. I'm sure too. Yeah, it's an important thing, you know. And um, we have some other podcasts. Not to do too much of a plug here, but there are other podcasts that involve the restoration and building of the White House. Abigail Abigail Adams, Adams, if you would like to listen to that one. (laughs) Um, so any anyway, listen to listen to our other podcasts about first ladies because. It's all interesting how it all ties together. Yes. But um, unrelated note, Barbara was humorous and self-deprecating, and it earned her many admirers. During her tenure as First Lady, she consistently ranked in the top three most admired women in America. But as popular as she was, which is more popular than her husband, <laughs> George lost his second term uh, election, and the couple retired from politics in 1992. Let me, let's pause there for a second. Let's talk about this 1992 presidential election. Yeah. <laughs> Barbara Bush did something that I I personally think is pretty badass for a Republican first lady campaigning for her husband's second term to do. I, you're right. Let I me see. preface with this statement. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to preface this. Uh, nothing that I'm saying is my personal views or Alicia's personal views, or FI360's views on any of these topics. This is purely just relating facts about what Barbara Bush did. Okay. Okay, so that being said, um, remember this is Barbara, or sorry, George's second term election. Um, you know, while, they're, while they're campaigning, Barbara stated that abortion and homosexuality are personal matters and argued that the Republican Party should not take a stand on it, saying that, quote, the personal things should be left out of it, in my opinion, platforms and conventions, end quote. So that caused another stir. Yeah. She she did this thing every time he ran for president, pretty much. <laughs> she said something that was... Like pitted her against the Republican Party. Yeah, it was not entirely PC. And I read somewhere that at the time of her death, she no longer considered herself a part of the Republican Party, which I think is really interesting. Um, think in her last autobiography. Yeah. Think about how different the party's structure was. Uh, any, both of them, all of the party's structures were in the 1980s and now. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, she did recently pass away, I mean, last couple of years. So... Um, there's a lot of change that happened. And so I, yeah, I think that that's really interesting. But after George retired from politics, she realized she hadn't cooked a meal in 12 years because she'd been second lady for eight and first lady for four. She could not drive, apparently. I know, this is really funny. (laughs) So George used to warn people to get out of the way of her car. They're like, if you see her come and run, because <laughs> she hadn't driven in so long. So I think that uh, that's really funny. <laughs> it is very funny, but she she did continue to promote literacy. And she, she ended up making several appearances for the cause. Um, but after their retirement, she really went back to 
what she felt was her main drive and her main priority in her life, which was her her family. Right, and she showed up. Yeah, she helped her sons, Jeb and George W., uh, campaign for the governorships of Florida and Texas, and also George W.'s subsequent and successful quest for the presidency in 2000. Um, So actually, when he was running for president, George W., Barbara would meet with women who supported his campaign, but she actually didn't think he was going to win. And she really resented the campaign because it was... I, it, I don't know if you remember, it was kind of a dirty campaign. Everybody was slinging negatives about everybody. And for a woman who couldn't hear any negative about her children and fiercely supported and protected her children, that would be a difficult thing to listen to day in and day out for two years. Yeah. Um, you could not speak negatively about her son in her presence. She rejected any criticism of her son and refused to watch any of the debates, <laughs> which caused some friction with George Sr., who, of course, watched all of them yeah. and wanted to talk to her about it. And she was like, I, no, <laughs> he's perfect. <laughs> you what mother doesn't think their son is perfect or their child is perfect. Yeah. I, I think it would be very difficult to be a parent and watch your child go through the sort of emotional toll that being running for president is now any sort of campaign i think yes is difficult for anybody yeah. any marriage or anything like that it's just difficult i imagine so um in any event she was active and served as honorary chair of the barbara bush foundation for family literacy throughout her life um let's talk about her legacy tell me a yes. little bit about how she affected america yeah well let's start with her her interest in reading because you mentioned before um, that you you felt that maybe her I think it was her father mm-hmm. was the editor mm-hmm. of McCall's and Red Book. Um, I think that probably did have an effect. But one of the other things that um, I think might have had a, had an effect on her interest in literacy and, and reading specifically was that you know, her family when when she was young they all used to gather around in the evenings and read together when she was growing up. So I think that was, I think that that was really interesting. Um, right. So her legacy is, of course, tied to her campaign against illiteracy. Yes. And she, because of her efforts, she has several schools named after her, three primary schools and two middle schools in Texas and an elementary school in Arizona. There's also a Barbara Bush library in Texas and a children's hospital in Maine named after her. She was always supporting good causes. So she served on the boards for AmeriCares and the Mayo Clinic. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you know that she is only one of two women who are both wife and mother to U.S. presidents? Do you happen to know who the other one is? Yes, I do. Who is it? It's Abigail Adams. <laughs> okay. You, you love Abigail Adams. <laughs> Abigail Adams and Hamilton. Everything with you ties back to either one of them. <laughs> Everything comes back to Hamilton. Hamilton with you. Um, so in any event, for her efforts, her lifelong efforts, in 1982, she was she received the DAR Medal of Honor from the Daughters of the American Revolution. She became a member in 1985 and continued her membership until her death. In 1995, Barb Barr 
received the award for Greatest Public Service Benefiting the Disadvantaged, which is an award given out annually by Jefferson Awards. Um, in 1997, she was the recipient of the Miss America Woman of Achievement Award for her work with literacy programs. She has received at least 30 honorary degrees from colleges and universities all over the country. She, um, and I remember this, she passed away on April 17th, 2018 in Houston, Texas at 92 years old. Almost two years ago. I remember them announcing that on some morning TV show that I happened to be watching at the time where Jenna Bush Hager announced that her grandmother, great-grandmother? Grandmother. Grandmother? Her grandmother uh, had essentially refused medical treatment. She had had some hospital stays and basically said, I want to go home and be comfortable. Like, I'm 92 years old. We we could stop now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And um, I remember them saying that. She knew what she wanted. Yeah, she knew what she wanted. She was basically on comfort. She was going home to get comfort from her family. Um, And then it was really quickly later, like a day or two later, she passed away. And that was just sad. You know, it doesn't matter where you fall on the political spectrum, where your thoughts are on on her politically. Um, she's a wonderful woman that did a lot for literacy in America and championed a bunch of causes that can be that are commendable. So, yeah, and, and following her death. Yeah, you need to read this part because I cannot. <laughs> You're gonna cry. I'm going don't, don't to cry. To use your sleeve. Yeah, I'll use gonna, my sleeve and sob silently. Okay. <laughs> Keep your sobs to yourself. Um, A cartoon by Marshall Ramsey of the Clarion Ledger uh, was widely circulated, and it showed Barbara being greeted by her daughter, Robin, who, remember, she passed away of leukemia um, at age three or four, upon her entry to heaven. Um, The cartoon was shared by various people and relatives of the family, including the woman you mentioned before, W's daughter, Jenna Bush Hager. Um, Then, you know, a a few months later, I think it was November um, or December of 2018, uh, her husband, George H.W., passed away, and Barbara was again featured in another Ramsey cartoon that, um, that depicted both her and Robin greeting George after he landed a TBM Avenger, which was the type of airplane he flew in the Navy during World War II in heaven. That's just beautiful. I think it's interesting that I didn't know Barbara Bush, obviously, in a personal sense, but it's touching to me because it's something sweet. You know what I mean? Like you had a big impact in your life if complete strangers are crying over a cartoon that was made in your honor. So I think that's important to note. And I also think it's important that she and George were married for a very long time. They were together for a long time and they died months apart. Like if that's not soulmates, I don't know what is. Theirs was a beautiful love story. I remember reading about them, um, you know, after George died, they of course had so many different articles uh, posted and I remember reading one that, that talked about their love story and how it was very powerful and how connected they were and I mean that was obvious in the way that they you know passed away seven months months apart from each other. Mm-hmm. I mean they were married in forty four. Yep. So they were 
married for over 50 years. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's good stuff, man. It is good stuff. Let's do, let's do our toast. Will you, okay. Will you please lead I'm our pulling toast? it together yes, pull for the toast together. here. Uh, dry your tears. <sighs> I can't. <laughs> All right. For your impact on literacy and your undying love of your children, we toast to you, Barbara Bush. Barbara. Bar. Bar, if you will. Yes. All right. Thank you for spending your time with us. Again, this is Breaking Barriers and a Little Louder Now podcast produced by The Bridge Initiative. Thank you to my esteemed colleague, who is no longer crying, Alicia, for this great conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for taking some time to talk with me today about the amazing, pioneering First Lady Barbara Bush. Stay tuned for more podcasts featuring magnificent women who broke barriers. If you'd like to catch up on what we've been doing, if you have questions, topic ideas, or if you'd like to join the Bridge Initiative community, you can visit fi360bridge.com to check out previous podcasts, webinars, and blog posts. Email us at bridge at fi360.com and connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at fi360bridge. I'm sensing a pattern. It's fi360bridge. (laughs) (laughs) We are creative and consistent, okay? You can also support the podcast without spending a dime by leaving us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, we want you all to get a little louder now.